The town that I grew up in as a, as a child, it was uh, kind of central California, eastern Sierra, as a, a small town that exists basically because there was a Navy base that was built there. Um, I was able to, to know a lot of, a lot of uh, servicemen and their, their families growing up, uh, hearing a lot of stories and just being around um, that community a lot. Um, one of the things that, that I would hear in, in different ways was just the, the value and the importance of training. Um, something that, that when you're in the military, you, you do not just through things like boot camp and stuff, but just you know, hearing stories of like, you, you, know, you, you take something apart, you, you make sure it's working, and then you rebuild it, and then the next day you do the same thing. And you know, just making sure that, that things are always ready to go and making sure that, that you're always prepared for what could happen because you don't know when uh, your life will be dependent upon that and you don't know when the person next to you will depend on your ability to do that. Um, there is uh, a consequence if you don't take that training seriously. You know, something that, that becomes very clear uh, for, for people who are serving. Um, you know, I, I think about that, especially in the context of, as we're in First John right now, First uh, John has been talking about fellowship with God. You know, the, the purpose of First John, he says it at the very beginning in First John 1, 3, he says, what we have seen and heard, and we heard, we announced to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship with us with God, uh, with the Father, and with His Son Jesus Christ. He says from the beginning, you need to understand the importance of fellowship. And He says, if you don't understand the importance of fellowship, there's going to be a consequence and things that, if you're not taking this seriously, there will be a cost that you will bear from this. You know, the same thing is if we're taking the training seriously, there is going to be uh, a benefit or to the opposite, a cost that, that a soldier would bear. As a Christian, if we're taking fellowship with God seriously, there can be something that we can benefit from it, uh, or there can also be a cost that we, that we suffer because of this. And so John writes this letter, and he says, you need to understand that the importance of fellowship that, with God that it has that it's something to take seriously and you need to, I want you to know the full benefits that you can have if you're fellowshipping with him. You know, and today we're, we're wrapping up 1 John. Next week we're going to continue with 2 John, but we're, we're concluding with 1 John and he tells us at the very end of the book some of the benefits that we can experience if we are, have been in fellowship with God. And he says, I want you to be able to understand what this is like, and I don't want you to, to miss this. And there's many times as, as Christians when, when we're not actively walking in fellowship with God that it can be easy for us to end up becoming discouraged. And they're not saying that your discouragement is always a sign that you're not in fellowship with God, but many times if we're not fellowshipping with Him, we can end up thinking, I don't, I don't really know if this works. I don't really know if there's power in the gospel. I don't really know if God delivers all the things that he says he does. I don't really know if the gospel actually brings anything or is it just, is it just positive thinking? Or is, it, is, is there anything that really to this, is there something that I can actually experience with this? And 
And it's easy when we're not in fellowship with God to go to that place. And John is saying, I want you to have fellowship with God because I want you to have confidence in what you have in him. That fellowship with God, he, he ends this letter by saying, there are certainties that you can have and experience because of what you have in God. And fellowship and having fellowship with him will help you to realize that. And that if we are fellowshipping with him, we can be confident, one, that he's a knowable God, that God is near us and God is someone that we can relate with and we can engage with and he's not a God that's far away. So we're going we're gonna to start, I'm going to kind of go backwards in, in these last couple verses. So we're going to start in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us insight to know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the one, uh, this one is the true God and eternal life. He says here, he describes it as, as our, our connection to, to Jesus and what Jesus has revealed. He says that Jesus has come and that he has revealed who God is. That there is something about not just the words that God has spoken, but also through his actions that he says, you can look at what Jesus did and you can know something about the Father. That, that God is not just a far-off God, but that God is a God who sees the, us in our sin and in our plight, and he moves towards us. He sends his own son to come and be with us, and he is a God who tells us about him. He gives teachings about him, but he also models and demonstrates mercy, forgiveness, restoration, he reveals about himself, and he says, I am a God that will come and move towards you. And he says that we, John writes here, that we are in God, in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. There is a union that we can have. And so it's not just that we know about God, but we're actually brought into union with him. And he says, if you're fellowshipping with God, you can realize this. You can experience it. And so come and he says, know who he is, experience this, trust this, and that you can experience this, this fullness. That fellowship with God helps us to trust that God is present, that he's accessible, that he sees us and he knows who we are. That God knows you, he knows what's going on in your life, and we see that evidenced by what Jesus did. Jesus' ministry shows us that he knows us. It shows us that he cares about us. His actions model what he, how he views us and, and how he loves us. I love this quote from, from Oswald Chambers. He writes, Jesus Christ reveals not an embarrassed God, not a confused God, not a God who stands apart from the problems, but one who stands in the thick of the whole thing with man. He says, he says, the whole thing with Jesus' ministry is he comes and he shows you, I'm not waiting for you to clean yourself up to then draw near to you, but I am knowable now. That I am knowable in the midst of your state right now. It's not a matter of you getting better and then, we, then the relationship takes off, 
but God moves towards you now in your current state, and he says he's not embarrassed, he's not ashamed of you, he's not waiting for you to get better, and then he'll draw near, but he's a God who's available now that you can turn to now. And when we fellowship with God, we can have confidence that this is who God is, that he's not waiting for me to to get over a couple of sins and break a couple of habits, and then I can be near him. But I can be close to him now, and in that closeness, I can can experience that freedom. You know, what what it makes me think of is uh, we're getting into wintertime. With wintertime, some of you might be skiers or snowboarders. I'm, I'm getting to the age where, where I'm not motivated as much by what's fun, but as what, what I won't get hurt doing. Um, and so I haven't, gone, I haven't gone snowboarding for a while because it was more just rolling down the hill. Um, but but you, know, you, you have goggles when you, when you go, and there's, uh, if you're like really into it, then you have different shades of goggles based on the weather, and I don't get that. But... Um, uh, a common one is you, you, know, you have red lenses, and so you, know, you wear, you wear your, your goggles, and you, know, you go out and you're snowboarding or whatever you're doing, and you, know, you, 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 just, you get used to, after a while, everything is red, right? Like you, you've done, you're, you're doing it all day long, and then the point comes where you no longer see red, it just things look normal. And then the point comes then at the end of the day where you take off your goggles, and then what color does everything look? Everything looks blue, or at least to me, blue, green, something. And you're, at that moment, you're, you're seeing what, you're, you have no, no lens on anymore, like you're actually seeing what's going on, but your interpretation and your experience isn't actually what, what it looks like. Like the snow is not blue, it's just because of what I'm so used to in the lenses that it looks blue to me. And it takes time for me to get reoriented to know that that's not blue, that's, that's the color white. And it takes time for my eyes to adjust. There, there's a time where uh, I can be so used to guarding my heart I can be so used to thinking that God is, is far away and doesn't actually see me and, and he's not actually present that when I'm finally willing to start trusting him and I'm finally willing to start saying, I, I trust that God is near and I'm going to try to respond to him, that I can still carry with me the experience of the past. And so there can still be a time, this, this, uh, this carryover of where I'm still, some of my experience from the past tells me that God isn't really that close, even when I've removed that lens. And there's, there's a period of where I have to endure this disorienting period of where I'm looking at God, but I still feel like he's far away. I still feel like he doesn't quite approve of me. I'm still not sure that he's accessible. And I have to be able to discern that that's not God. That's my past experience. And so much as much as I can look at the gospel and I can say, well, Jesus is showing me that he loves me. He's telling me that he loves me. He's telling me that I'm forgiven. My past still gets put on to God, and I'm still saying, I, it just doesn't feel like it, though. 
Because I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm still, it, it looks blue to me. It doesn't look white and it's supposed to look white. Snow is white, but why do I see blue? And there's a part where you need to say, we, we need to endure a phase for a while until we can see God for himself. Because it might just be that we're implementing something else and putting something else onto him. And so, so endure, wait. The, the time will come and the confidence will come that you can experience that God is accessible and that he is close. John is saying fellowship with him and you're going to have this confidence that grows. And the way that he defines fellowship in 1 John is he tells us there's two things that I want you to do. He says, one, he says, walk in the light. He tells us this in, in chapter 1 a lot. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet keep walking in the darkness, we are lying. He says, walk in the light. Do not hide. Do not keep things hidden, but speak honestly to God. Tell him what is real. Tell him what's actually going on. Agree. When we, when we talked about confession before, we said confession is agreeing with God. When God calls it sin, that we call it sin too. That we don't walk in the darkness, we don't try to conceal and hide things. He says, walk in the light. The other thing he says, he says, love one another. Fellowship with God by being willing to love one another, particularly the Christian. In chapter 2, he spoke about this often where he says, the one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light. So he says, fellowship with one another, speak honestly, speak without things being hidden, love one another, and in this fellowship we can have with God, our confidence will grow that we see God for himself, and we can know that he is a God who is knowable and accessible. Fellowship gives us this confidence. It changes how we see his availability. It also changes on how he, we understand he sees us. We're going to go, go to, to verse 19. It says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He makes this contrast between the world and us, and he says that we are from God. This is, this is language of holiness. Like holiness, it's, it's not like there's sparkles and light shining off of something, but it's something that meaning that something is designated as set apart, as separate. And he says, the people of God, they are holy to God. And this is distinct from the world, from those who are under the power of the evil one. He says that we are from God. This this word from, uh, commentators say that this indicates source and possession, meaning Christians are from God in the sense that they are begotten by him. This is their source. They are, they are from God in that God has created them, made them. He has given them a new nature. He sustains them. But also possession, they belong to him. And so if we are from God, God both created us, he gives us a new nature, he forgives us and restores us, but then we are also both his in that we're his possession as well. And so we are marked both by 
the, the way how God has given us life, but also that we belong to him as we live, that we are God's. We, we belong to him, and he gives us what we need, and, and not simply physically, but he gives us the things that we need for our life, for our meaning, for significance, for righteousness. He gives us forgiveness, and he creates restoration within us. This is something that, that so many times I wonder if you had to think about, are you fundamentally uh, a sinner or fundamentally a saint? Um, I think many times as Christians, for the sake of desiring to be humble, we want to think of ourselves as sinners and think, well, uh, the, the worse I feel about myself or the worse I make myself out to be, the more modest I am, and then the greater I'm, exam- I'm elevating God's, God's grace and forgiveness. And verses like this, they challenge the, way, the place that we place our identity of Ultimately, God has declared you righteous. And what does it say that when God declares us righteous, but then we end up saying, no, but I'm, I'm a sinner? Is, there, is it possible that maybe we're, just, we're dismissing or taking too lightly the creative and restorative work that he's done for us? And so he says, he says we have been restored we have been made new, and for many of us, we can feel like, I don't, I don't deserve that. My shame seems to tell me otherwise. I carry shame with me that says, no, I fundamentally at my core am a broken and flawed person. I am an unlovable person. I'm irredeemable. I'm a, a tainted person. You know, there might be some of us that, that actually feel defensive about this and feel, I don't even want to look at that, and so in my defensiveness, I'm not even going to acknowledge the, the shame that I feel, and I feel, I feel fine. And so there might be a way that we actually avoid that and just try to tell ourselves that we're okay. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as some of the other people. You know. People, people on either side of me. I'm not that bad. But ultimately, uh, at the core of us, we have to say, do I really trust that I've been made holy? Can I view the cross as big enough, as effective enough, that even in the shame that I carry, that it's been dealt with? There's this word, uh, imputation. This is a, a theological word, and it, it speaks to God crediting righteousness to us. Okay, so God looking on us and declaring us righteous. There's, there's a, a blog I follow. Uh, if you want to look it up, it's called Mockingbird. And for me, it is a, it's, it's a breath of fresh air in try harder Christianity that, 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 that's so common. And I wanna, I wanna share with you a, a quote from it that uh, is, is powerful. Um, the, this is written by a guy, uh, Todd Brewer, who did the, this blog post. He says, imputation, so this is God crediting righteousness to us, isn't so much as saying you're a great person, despite all the evidence to the contrary, as much as you matter to me no matter who you are. 
Imputation does not say, I'll love you when you change. It says, I'll love you in the spite of the fact that you may never change. I want to I read this again to you. It's an imputation, God crediting righteousness to us. God looking at you and saying, you are a righteous person. It's not so much as saying, you're a great person, despite the evidence to the contrary, as much as it is saying, you matter to me, no matter who you are. Imputation does not say, I'll love you when you change. It says, I'll love you in spite of the fact that you may never change. When we, when we think of holiness, our, our holiness and the confidence that we can have in holiness, it's not because of us changing. It's not because of our sanctification. It's not because we're breaking some habits and no longer struggling with something. It speaks completely to the fact of what he has done for us. And when we're fellowshipping with God, when we're relating with him, when we're speaking honestly to him, when we're, being, when we're allowing for him to provide his righteousness to us, it's here that we start to have confidence that this is who I really am, that I really am someone that's been set apart by God, that I am his possession, I am his. And we can have confidence in this. Closeness with God helps me to feel confident in being his holy possession. Intimacy with God helps us to see that we have been set apart, but also that there is actually uh, liberation from sin that we can experience. So in verse 18, he says, We know that everyone fathered by God does not sin, but God protects the one he has fathered, and the evil one cannot touch him. Everyone fathered by God does not sin. This is, this is language that, that John has repeated before, not saying that once you've become a believer that sin no longer is, is a problem for you, but that when you place your faith in Jesus, he gives you a new nature, and when you live out of that new nature that you can experience freedom from that sin. That God gives you what you need to be freed from sin. That sin does not compel you anymore. That you do not have to sin anymore if you're a Christian. That you are freed from that and that power has been, set, has been broken and God is guarding you and giving you what you need if you are going to resist sin that there is freedom that you can know. And this is part of the promise of the gospel. And God says this because he says, I am your father that I have fathered you. You know, when we, when we think of other things that John has said, he's, he said earlier that even when the time comes where, where you do sin, there is still the promise of restoration that's available. He says in, in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, saying, if we are saying the same thing about our sin that God does, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us from our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. 
He says the promise is when we are honest with God about our sins, when we are calling it what it is, he says he is breaking the barriers and the hold that sin has over us. That we can be cleansed from it, that it doesn't have to be something that has claims and holds over us, but there can be freedom that we can experience. Sometimes, um, sometimes for me personally, there's been times when, when I think about this and when I've heard people talk about it that it's, it hasn't felt like it's matched my experience. And there's been times where I feel like, why, why does it seem like it should be so easy that, that God has given me freedom from this, and it seems like this is the promise, but it doesn't seem like that's what I know and what my faith has looked like. And, it, and at times, it's, it's felt like this, that I feel the draw to sin. I feel like there's something I need or I want to have, something that I want to take, and resisting it feels like holding my breath. And I can, I can hold my breath for so long, and I can resist it for a time, but at some point, I have to exhale. And at some point, I just, I can't hold my breath any longer, and at some point, I'm going to succumb, and I'm going to give in to the temptation. And when I, when I look at passages like this, there's a part of me that says, God, what are you talking about? I can only hold my breath for so long. That's not what freedom looks like. This isn't what liberation from sin is supposed to look like. It says that you've, you're offering to protect me and that you've, you've given me freedom. You've given me what I need to not turn to those things anymore. And yet I don't realize it. I don't encounter that truth. And there's, so there's a part of me with that. I feel it coming. I'm holding my breath. And I can't do it anymore. And I wonder if you experience this as well. I wonder if there's a part of you that says, I, I look at this and this seems like a, a very clear, obvious promise, and yet I don't know it either. This is, this is what, what I want you to consider. Is that is that one, the promise to freedom from, from the control of sin is not experienced primarily through willpower. That you, we, don't, we don't place our faith in Jesus and trust in him and then immediately have a will that is completely liberated from any habit that we've formed that we're not liberated from every influence that we've, we've submitted ourselves to. But it could be, that, that I, and I want you to consider, that the freedom and the liberation that we're given is through other places that we can take those needs. And so as much as I'm holding my breath trying to resist going there, it might not be that I'm called to hold my breath forever. But instead, maybe what I'm called to is to go somewhere else for air. And so in the promises of the gospel, it could be that instead of now thinking, I have to keep going this place to address that need, that sin is the only thing that, that can satisfy what I'm longing for, now I'm free to find it somewhere else. 
And so I can go somewhere else and I can find meaning. I can find protection. I can find love. I can find acceptance. I can find satisfaction other places. And I think the promise of the gospel, and I think the promise of what John is saying here, is if we're fellowshipping with God, we can have confidence that what the gospel provides for us is real and it's better. That I can go to the gospel and that will satisfy me more. It'll satisfy me in a more lasting way, in a deeper way. And I can know that and I can trust that, I can have confidence that what the gospel provides for me is going to be better than what I could get somewhere else. And so I don't have to keep holding my breath, hoping that it's at some point just the, the temptation is going to disappear, but I can actually go somewhere else and I can find freedom that way. So the promise is that God says, I want you to fellowship with me so that you can have confidence that you can go somewhere else and you can have your deep needs met. And there can be joy that we find in this. And so this freedom is not something that's internal. It's not something that's simply a matter of willpower. It's something a matter of we have been given a resource that now we can turn to instead. As, as you think about where you stand with God uh, right now, as you think about um, your relationship with him, if you, you might feel that God seems like a stranger. You might not feel close to him. You might even feel disillusioned with him. That, that I, I don't know and experience all the promises that it seems like he's told me I should be able to have. My encouragement to you is, is to walk with him and to fellowship with him. The, the ways that John described here, the ways of, of speaking honestly to him, calling it what it is, not hiding something, and also being willing to love one another. Are there people that you are resisting loving right now? Are there things that you are concealing that you're not wanting to be revealed? And we'll address these things and fellowship with God and give him time to let your confidence grow. But the promise is that God says he's an accessible God who calls you holy and says he will meet your needs better than what sin will and that you can know this freedom. And the great part of this is there is joy to have in this confidence.